Welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. You are invited to stay tuned for the next 59 minutes to enjoy some inspiring music from one of Hood County's wonderful congregations as well as an encouraging message from the Bible. The songs you are about to enjoy are from the Generations Church worship team led by Pastor Shake Anderson with the Gen Praise Band and on special occasions some great guest musicians. Later on in the broadcast, you may hear a proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, along with some teaching from the Bible with Pastor Alan Mata or another generation's church leader or special guest. So without any further delay, welcome to Worship in the Word with Generations Church. Happy 
You are listening to Worship and the Word with Generations Church of Granbury. Who was Jesus? Oh, Jesus is. <laughs> he, he is the eternal Son of God. He was with the Father. All things were made by Him without him was nothing made that was made. I think he had views that people, a lot of people agreed with and still agree with today, so it must have been good. Pope Leo said in the 15th century, uh, Christ was a myth and it served the church well and it served the governments well. It's, it's kind of a, a drug to keep the people in line. I don't think he told people he was God. Um, I think Jesus was a messenger of God. He was here to give a message to his uh, people and um, Spread the spread the word of um, Christianity um, to all denominations, to all faiths, um, and for the understanding that people would not only understand him but understand the message of God. It said so. He did some special things. He was doing throwing out some philosophies out there. No, my guy. Something I which one been a good guy. Which one help everyone? Uh, I don't think he had magic powers. I do believe there was a guy called Jesus who he was like a preacher. Most of all myths are based in reality. Whether they've been changed from one generation to another, that's the different fact. He, he didn't do much wrong. He went a bit crazy in the temple, but otherwise, that was it. He came to this earth and became man for us. Not just to show us how to live, not just to perform miracles, not just to do wonderful things, which he did, but essentially to give his life a ransom for context we're reading today is Jesus is declaring who he is and declaring the truth, the truth that sets us free from slavery to sin is a truth that we continue in. And that truth to continue in is basically believing in Jesus for who he was and is and always will be. And it all starts with faith. So verse 43, Jesus says, if God were your father, verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You can't understand what you don't listen to. If you want to understand your wife, husbands, you got to listen first. Amen. To dwell with your wife in an understanding manner so that the promise Peter gave so that your prayers are not hindered starts with listening. So to understand Jesus, you've got to listen to him. And they were not willing, they weren't able to listen to him. They were not open to the possibility that he was right and they were wrong. You're of your father the devil, verse 44, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Keep your hand there and go with me to Genesis chapter 3. Here he appears to the first man and woman to tempt them. 
and appears as a serpent. That's one of his names. Verse 1 of Genesis 3, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree that is in the midst of the garden? You shall not eat. Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now looking at what God actually said, in verse 16 of chapter 2, the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. Every tree you may freely eat. And yet Satan says, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? God goes on to say, You may free eat of every tree freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Verse 2 of chapter 3, The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to this woman, said to the woman, You will not surely die. So he starts lying to her, tries to sow doubts in verse 1. God's trying to hold out on you. You can't eat of all the trees. Verse 4, you will not surely die. Verse 5, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What was this tree of knowledge of good and evil thing? Was a fruit poison? I don't know. They didn't die instantly, but they were cut off, separated from God by their decision to know right from wrong for themselves without God. They believe the lie. God doesn't want you to eat of this fruit because you'll be like him. They were already like him. So he's tempting them to think they weren't like him, but they could be like him by disobeying him and determining right from wrong for themselves. And thus began the human race's problems. The courts are full. Universities are putting out hundreds of lawyers every year in the battle over determining right from wrong. Our country has over 100,000 legal pages by which we are governed. And that's not counting your HOA codes and your county authorities and all this stuff. Man doesn't know right from wrong. The Bible has less than 2,000 pages and yet the laws just keep getting created and created and created trying to determine right from wrong because we can do it without God. It's a lie. He's the father of it. And so death became part of the human experience. If you lie to someone and it causes their ultimate death, what is that? Murder. So he was a murderer from the beginning. He was a liar. Back to John chapter 8. He's a liar and the father of it, verse 45. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Right? He's declaring to them truth they don't believe. They prefer to believe lies. Which of you convicts me of sin? If I tell you the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Hmm. The truth that makes you free will hurt first sometimes. First, it will make you mad. Then the Jews answered, verse 48, said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? So they continue throwing innuendos at him. 
Earlier they said in this discussion, we're not illegitimate. We know who our father is, implying that he was illegitimate. Now they're implying he's a Samaritan. His father must have been from Samaria. Samaritans were considered impure, inferior, and wrong about everything, looked down upon. So they're hurling insults at him. I love the fact that Jesus aligned himself with Samaritans. I don't know that they knew it. Spent three days in their city, and the results of the seed sown there reaped a mighty harvest in Acts chapter 8. Told him he has a demon. Many times the operation of demons is pointing out demons. People that are obsessed with demons may have one. hiding behind labeling people with demons. What, what good does that do? You have a demon. Cast it out if I got it. Instead of labeling people. Let's move on. I could get on a rabbit trail there. Verse 49. Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Another place he said, the Father in me is doing these works. I am in the Father, the Father's in me. But them telling him he had a demon, they were calling the Father a demon. Blasphemous, right? He's telling them the truth. He honored his Father. Yeah, he's my dad. You guys are criticizing me. Anybody that criticizes me, you're criticizing Dad. Verse 50, I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. So there's a witness, witnessing all of this. Verse 51, Most assuredly I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. He came to bring life, and life more abundantly. He came to bring eternal life. And we receive that eternal life by believing in him. And he is conveyed to us in our time, centuries later, by words. And these words create saving faith in our hearts. And we believe on the Lord. We receive what is called the free gift of eternal life. Our bodies will die, but we're not going to die. To be absent from the body, Paul wrote later on in the New Testament, is to be present with the Lord. Wonderful thing. The funeral for a believer is so much different than one for an unbeliever. When I preach one for an unbeliever, I don't enjoy preaching funerals anyway, but if I preach a funeral for an unbeliever, here's what I say. Where this person is right now, they want me to share the gospel with you. They're in the hands of a merciful judge, and they would want me to share the assurance of eternal life it's the best I can do. But for a believer, man, it's a joyous thing because we know where they are. We know where they are. Verse 52. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know you have a demon. All right, we got confirmation now. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who is dead and the prophets are dead? Who do you make yourself out to be? Now, theologically, Pharisees believed that Abraham was with God. 
They believed in life after death. The Sadducees didn't, but the Pharisees believed in life after death. Why were they cashing in their chips and just saying he's dead? Because of unbelief. If you surrender to the sin of unbelief and give it a place in your heart, like cancer, that thing will begin to eat at your faith. Don't prize your unbelief. Don't value your doubts. Be honest with them. Recognize them. But don't let them take over your life because they'll rob you of all your faith. In their fight to win arguments rather than find truth, they gave up on even their own faith. Their father's dead. Jesus, if he was out to win arguments, could have really used that one on them, but he didn't. Verse 54, after them saying, Who do you make yourself out to be? He answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. The one you call God is my dad. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. I searched my concordance. Where did this happen? Here's what I believe. In Genesis 22, Abraham has his miraculous son, Isaac. And God appears to him one day and says, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, to the place where I shall show you and offer him as a sacrifice. Abraham obeys. He's not happy about it. He waited for years to get this boy. And now he's going to offer him as a sacrifice? So on this journey towards this mountain, it took three days. The Bible says for three days his son was as good as dead in Abraham's mind. He was committed to obey the Lord. And during that three-day journey to a mountain, a hill called Mount Moriah, Isaac asked, Dad, here's wood, here's fire, where's the sacrifice? Abraham said, God will provide himself. which is what happened. For at the last moment, as he was about to slay his son on an altar they had built, an angel stopped him and showed him a ram caught by the head in a thicket, in a bush, a thorn bush. And the ram was offered in place of his son. The Bible says that Abraham was justified by faith and we too are justified by faith. We have the faith of Abraham. What was Abraham's faith? His faith was in the possibility of God raising his son from the dead. His faith was in the birthing of a miraculous son. His faith was in a substitutionary sacrifice being provided in place of his son. That's what we believe. We believe in the miraculous son of Abraham, Jesus, born of a virgin. We believe he was a substitute, died on the cross for our sins. We believe he is a spotless lamb. We believe he died on a cross with a crown of thorns, probably made from that kind of thicket 
on the cross. So there's a great parallel between our faith and Abraham. Don't you know Abraham probably rejoiced when at the last minute God showed him the ram? He named that place Jehovah Jireh, which means the God who sees. And because he sees, he provides. So there's that song, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, the God who provides. Literally, he provides because he's the God who sees. And Abraham then said, as it is said to this day, in the book of Genesis uh, chapter 22, it says, as it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it will be seen. The provision of God will be seen in the mount of the Lord. From that very place, the temple of Jerusalem was built and it was within eyesight of another hill called Mount Calvary where the Son of God, head in the thicket, was provided on the cross for the sins of the world. Seen for all. Marking time for all mankind through the awesome ultimate sacrifice. I think Abraham did rejoice. And I think he saw in a shadow and a type through that experience what God was going to do. Because before the chapter was over in Genesis 22, God says, in your seed, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And here is the seed of Abraham standing in front of these guys. And they are refusing to believe in him. They need a miracle, don't they? But they don't want one. Verse 57, Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old. And have you seen Abraham? Another slur and his youthfulness. He was only 33. Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Uh-oh, he crossed the line. You aggravate us by healing people on the Sabbath, declaring yourself to be somebody great, but you just crossed the line. Verse 59, then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. By declaring himself before Abraham was I am, he declared his divine preexistence, And he declared himself as God, as God's name is I am. When he appeared to Moses in the burning bush, he told them to tell the Egyptians and the Israelites that I am has sent you to bring forth. He's not the I was or the I will be. He's the eternally existent one. He's the forever I is, always present. This, if it's not true, is blasphemy. If it's not true, it's blasphemy. A crime under the law of Moses, punishable by death. Capital punishment, execution, to be executed by stoning. Keep your hand there and turn with me to Leviticus 24, verse 16. Leviticus 24, 16. And whoever blasphemes the name of the Lord shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the stranger as well as him who is born in the land. 
when he blasphemes the name of the Lord, he shall be put to death. There it is in the law. Jesus committed blasphemy if what he said was not true. But because they did not believe to them, what he said was a blasphemy. They took up stones, the very stones that had been dropped earlier in the chapter that were to be thrown at a woman caught in adultery. Now we're going to be thrown at him. Could it be when they were questioning him about what to do with her, trying to trap him, get him in trouble with his followers or in trouble with the Romans? Could it be when he was writing in the sand, maybe he drew a cross where the day would come when he would pay her penalty, our penalty, receive our punishment upon himself? I don't know. But because of their unbelief, they felt justified in killing him. Jesus was set up. Can we say that? He is set up. His execution was going to be a public offense, a, a public event. The whole world would know about it. So God set it up where Israel would be under Roman occupation, where it would be illegal for them to execute anyone. Romans had to do it. And they didn't do it by stoning. They did it by nailing people to a cross. God set it up. It was unbelief that created the scenario for his execution. Unbelief coupled with that law was a death sentence for the Son of God. Pain for the sins of the world that were caused by unbelief. Sin is always caused by some form of wrong belief. Always. Always. The truth that sets us free is the truth that we believe in. May God give us grace, eyes to see the truth that we're not believing, so we can believe, so we won't be slaves any longer. Jesus is set up. Look at this. He was preexistent, okay? To set something up, you've got to already exist, right? He was preexistent. Before Abraham was, I am. He was predestined. 1 Timothy 1, verse 20, He indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who through Him believe in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. So that we can have faith in God and hope in God, Jesus was foreordained from the foundation of the world to come and be the Lamb slain. In fact, He's called the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world in the book of Revelation. God set it up. When he gave Moses that command in Leviticus 24, verse 16, he knew that was going to be the death sentence on his son because of unbelief. It was a setup. And all his son was going to do was do good things to people and speak the truth. 
and they were going to kill him because of unbelief. In that being set up, we were his priority. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, by which he made us accepted in the beloved. Before the world was, God chose to make you and I accepted. That word accepted is the same word in the Greek language that the angel Gabriel gave Mary when he told her she was highly favored. Karitao, a high form of grace, is upon you, Mary. You're going to have the Son of God. We've been highly favored, accepted, karitaoed, in the beloved, in the community of believers that God so loves. He's chosen you and I. We were His priority. Isn't that good? Uh oh. We too are set up. We are set up so that the Father can deal with every ounce of unbelief in us. You ever seek to do the will of God and find yourself in the middle of a mess? You're tempted to do what? Doubt, aren't you? But then when God brings you through, turns that message to a message, that test into a testimony, you have stronger faith. He's dealing with all our unbelief. It's a setup. You may not like the setup, but you'll like the fruit of it. Some setups are nice. Joe Duncan grew up in South Bend, Indiana, went to university in Phoenix, and last weekend at the Cowboy Stadium, he got to see his alma mater play his hometown, Notre Dame, against Arizona State. And Notre Dame won. What a setup to bless that brother. But all setups are not so pleasant. It can be tough. John 15, verse 20, Jesus said, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Well, I didn't sign up for this. It doesn't sound like your best life now. Well, this is not your best life now. I don't care. Maybe they, maybe they should have said your best possible life in the present time. This is not your best life. We have a life to look forward to in heaven, right? The best life is there. But right now, we got a job to do. It's all about doing the will of God. In John 16, Jesus said, In the world you will have tribulation. Everybody say trouble. But be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. He's overcome we get to overcome. Why would we be given armor if there wasn't a battle to fight? Why would we be called soldiers? Why would we be called more than conquerors if there wasn't something to fight? You've been set up to fight the good fight of faith as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Our crucifixion has been arranged. We can identify with the sufferings of Jesus when we go through hard times. 
there are some scenarios created by God, even by the enemy, even by my own sin, that only He can get us out of. And in the process, He purifies us, makes us more like Himself, and gives us stronger faith, enabling us to be true believers. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 11 says, We who live are always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death working in us, death is working in us, but life in you. When we are crucified, it is to give life for somebody else. It's true. When Jesus was crucified, it was to give his life for others. When we are crucified, our selfishness has to die so that others can be benefited. Think of it like this. If you bring a child in the world, there's going to be some sleepless nights, unless your child's perfect, and then have another one. There's going to be some trials to go through, your life to be laid down for the benefit of that child, right? Selfish mamas generally get their children taken away from them. It's the same thing that applies in life. People cannot be helped unless someone is willing to die out to their selfishness. And God has set us up so that we can be more like Jesus. Instead of fighting your trials so much, look at them. Maybe, maybe God's at work in this thing, and I meant to go through rather than over. <laughs> We're going to be over in the end because we win. Let's listen to the whole chapter from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I love this video. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we also speak knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That, my friends, are words of faith right out of the heart of the New Testament that needs to be our song every day. Our resurrection is assured. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. If your persecution, if your opposition, if our trials, if our suffering leads to our death, the story is not over. We have resurrection. If it doesn't lead to our death, we can taste resurrection in the victories that are ours to inherit. But first, there comes the struggle, then the song, the test, then the moaning. Speaking to one person here, might be you. You're set up. The Lord led you to come here today. You were set up to hear this word. Maybe you're not a Jesus follower. You're set up to hear the truth that Jesus declared to one of the Pharisees when he said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever would believe in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. God so loved us, he sent his son to speak truth, knowing that that son would be killed because of unbelief. And in killing him because of their unbelief, he would pay for the sin of unbelief. He would take the death penalty so that our blasphemy could be forgiven. We've all blasphemed at some point in our life. Now, we can receive forgiveness because Jesus literally was killed for the sin of blasphemy to which he was innocent. We pray. Lord, I pray for every person here, for those struggling with their life where they are right now, for others that are benefiting from their hardships, I pray, Lord, that they would embrace their cross and that their eyes would be upon you and that every ounce of unbelief would be evaporated from their life by these fires. And, Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. I pray, Lord, you'd bring them to the place of being willing to believe that you are their Savior. You are the answer. You are their hope. Lord, to make new believers out of people. Give us eyes to see what you have done for us and are doing in us. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. We're going to sing a song. I'm going to call the prayer team to join me across the front. And if you'd like to receive prayer about anything, it could be becoming a believer, it could be becoming a Jesus follower, it could be about following the Lord more closely than you have in the past, it could be about some challenge you're facing or strength for the trial that you're in the midst of. You're not in this alone. The Lord left his body to minister to us. So we'll be up here to pray with you. So. Could our prayer team come forward and if I can receive prayer about any of those things or something I didn't mention, come on down with us as we worship the Lord. Come and receive prayer.
for tuning in today for Worship and the Word with Generations Church. You may hear our radio broadcast again at the same time and station next week. If you do not have a church congregation to call home and you live near the Granbury area, we would love to invite you to come check us out some Sunday morning at 10 a.m. Our meeting facilities are located at 5718 East Highway 377 on the Fort Worth side of Granbury. And our website is at generationschurch.org. Thanks again for tuning in to Worship and the Word. You may hear our next hour-long broadcast at the same time and station next week. 
We are excited to announce Generations Church now has two opportunities for attending Sunday services at 9 and 10.30 a.m. This exciting addition to our meeting times enables us to provide more ministry, fellowship, and friendship. So, we want you to join us at 9 or 10.30 this Sunday morning and find your new church home with us. Call us at 817-326-5378 or visit generationspeople.org and experience for yourself all the exciting things happening at Generations. That's 817-326-5378 or generationspeople.org. We look forward to seeing you this Sunday morning at 9 or 1030. Generations Church of Granbury is located at 5718 East Highway 377. 